Hello and welcome to the Mindful Family Business. My name is Russ Hayworth and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Martin Stepek. In each episode, we will be exploring and learning about the ancient teachings of mindfulness and how we can apply these to situations within our family business. We are also offering access to a program that takes what we speak about and applies it to your own family business. More details of that at the end of the show. But for now, take a breath, relax, and enjoy the show. And hello, Martin, how are you? Hi, Ross, I'm really, really well. Outside, it's glistening with rain on the the streets and on the pavements. So just another day in beautiful, sunny Scotland, except the sunny bit. (laughs) Well, if it's any consolation, we have some sunshine here. I'm down in the, the southwest of England, and we've had a glorious day today, very sunny although still pretty um, chilly, but very, very nice uh, indeed. Nice to see the sun shining. So wearing my mindfulness hat, I am very pleased for you, he said, lying. (laughs) 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 And trying not to be miserable about our own weather here. (laughs) I'm sure you'll get a day or two of sunshine at some point. Yeah, it's usually June the 14th and August the 24th. (laughs) Fantastic. Um, And for those that missed the um, introduction show, I do suggest people go and check that out because Martin and I have a discussion about what it is we're going to be covering in each of these episodes. And today's episode, we're going to be talking about um, the first of the four noble truths. Now, when I first came to be aware of mindfulness. It was very much on the practice of mindfulness, the sort of breathing and being aware of the breath. And through our discussions outside of of what we're recording here, it became very apparent and very clear to me that there is so much more behind the practice of mindfulness than just breathing and noticing the, the breath. And the origins of it are obviously thousands of years old rather than it being a modern phenomena. Um, But I think because it is something that thankfully is growing in popularity and awareness, the benefit of understanding and knowing about the origins and the the noble truths that go into the teachings behind it, I will find fascinating because when we were talking about the topics that we were going to cover on the show, you you gave a list of very pertinent, very relevant topics. And I'll be honest, I'd not heard of the Four Noble Truths before. So I'm listening as intently as our audience will be in terms of looking to understand more about the the background and history of it. Um, And I guess for this, over to you, Martin, in terms of the Four Noble Truths, and let's get into detail on the first one. Yeah, thanks, Ross. And I think the first thing to say is what these truths are and the practices that derive from them are incredibly useful in a modern context and from a personal point of view as someone who was born and raised in a family business, really valid and and practical for family businesses. 
So this thing that was called the Four Noble Truths was a title given basically as a summary decades, maybe even centuries after the original person called the Buddha died. And, and they were trying to summarize this vast amount of teachings that he had given. And we mentioned in the previous podcast that, you know, he lived till he was 80 and he started teaching in his 30s. So there's almost like 50 years worth of teaching. So it's a huge volume of um, recalled audio teaching, you know, oral teaching, uh, then eventually put into writing. So they were trying to sort of make quantify it in a, a summary way. And this Four Noble Truths title is actually a poor translation, as is so often the case when it's related to the Buddhist um, teachings, unfortunately. What it really means is four truths that ennoble you. In other words, four truths that make you the best person you can be. And that's the core of it. And the first of those is, ironically, about suffering, about issues, about the fact that through a life we seem constantly to get into problems, you know, whether relationship problems, our own health problems, pessimism, worry, crises going on um, around the world, local issues, and in a family business context, family clashes, um, difficulties about things like succession, about whether the next generation should be, could be, ought to be in, in, um, into the, in the business and in what way. So really what, when the Buddha was talking about that as a subject, he was really talking about mental dissatisfaction, lack of peace of mind. And it's interesting that his, his title, the Buddha, is a title given to him. And it actually just means someone who's awake. And that comes from the fact that, according to a story, people saw him after he had sort of attained his, quotation marks, enlightenment. After he was able to separate out his raw emotions and reactions and his wiser side of things, and he could let them go and still remain quite serene. So people saw this really calm, happy guy in northern India at a time when not many people, I guess, were calm or happy. And they said to him, you know, what is it about you? You know, are you sort of like a god? Are you like some special? And he says, no, I'm just awake. And what he meant was he's awake to the fact that his automatic mind is stressful and reactive and angry. And he's awakened to the fact that you can do something about this and be happy. So that's essentially what the, the term means. But what he talked about when he, he spoke about the, the first noble truth, this truth that you build upon to get happy, truth that you build upon to get away from all of your natural reactions in life that are negative. And it was about acceptance. Accept that life is sometimes hurtful. Accept that sometimes it goes wrong. Accept that your mind is sometimes not your friend. It's your worst enemy. And that pure, powerful sort of platform from which you build all the other truths and perspectives. And he spoke about three aspects of 
suffering or three different ways we suffer. The first was the straightforward one. You know, you trip and you hurt your foot. That's pain. That's suffering. Um, you've got a headache. That's suffering. Someone shouts at you and you feel down. That's suffering. You lose someone you love. That's suffering. So these are all the natural physical and mental negatives in our life, if you like. The second one, though, was another one. One of his great insights, this young guy had so modern a take on life. He says that change often brings suffering. So you're doing something at work and all of a sudden your boss says, um, we're not doing it that way anymore. We're doing it that way. And by the way, you're not part of it. You're in a new department. And so you have to commute another 40 miles. You know? And boom, it's change. And you didn't want the change because you were happy where you were. And so the change itself leads to uncertainty, confusion, frustration, irritation, um, and sometimes loss. And obviously, a relationship problem is a change. Uh, the loss of somebody you love is a change. Getting old is a change. So there's all these aspects of saying that, and like with the overall definition about suffering um, being a reality of life, not the only reality, but, but a regular reality, so too change is constant. Life is always changing. Much of that change is not what we wanted it to be, and therefore we suffer as a result of it. Suffer in the sense of not happy about it, dissatisfied. The third version is was the most profound, I guess. And now I'm obviously interpreting this from a 21st century point of view. And he was talking, you know, 500 BC, 400 BC. But he said that suffering is pervasive in human beings. You know, which means it's always there. It's built into the system of being alive. And, you know, I struggled with that for years and years when I first started learning it. And I was trying to interpret it in a way that made sense to me. And eventually it finally struck me that the way I could understand it was that we are genetically programmed to suffer. You know, we, we and this is something I learned from evolutionary psychology, that a human being has evolved to have more negative programming than positive programming in his anger, frustration, irritation, intolerance, hatred, prejudices, all of these things. There, there are programs in our DNA, in our genes, that make us able to be like that, that negative way. And that's because those things help to survive in dangerous times. So anger mm. is a good thing if somebody's about to attack you. You know, being kind and placid when somebody's got a club and about to clap, hammer <laughs> you in the head is not necessarily positive, yeah. however nice it is back in the cave, <laughs> you know, 40,000 years ago. So that's astonishing insight. He said that it was built, it's built into us to be pushed in the direction more of being negative than positive. And modern psychology um, has confirmed this in a whole series of tests, and it's, it's called negativity bias. We are roughly three to one prone to be negative 
than positive in a, a normal day. So say 80% negative, 20% positive. And that then has all sorts of negative ripples and causes and consequences. You know, if you're in a bad mood, the folk around you aren't going to get the best of you. They might be in a bad mood as well because of what you say or think about them. Um, and so that ripple goes on. And what we're talking about with mindfulness is the ability to notice these things when they arise so that we don't cause these ripples either inside ourselves or externally. It's, it's incredible that at a time where there wasn't the ability to prove it through the science, that he was able to, to come up with it and not just come up with it, but be right about it in that sense, in that, that it wasn't, you know, a theory that's since been disproved by the science and by the, the neurology and neuroscience of it. it. It's something that has been um, proven. And if we take that forward into a family business scenario, if we say that it is, there is an inevitability of suffering, that must also be true within the family business because that forms part of our life, right? And so is the key there from, from what you were saying earlier about it being an acceptance of the fact that there will be difficult times, there will be difficult decisions, there will be potential conflicts of, of varying scales within um, the family and varying degrees within within the family. And if there is that acceptance, does that help families to not feel alone and isolated in facing those challenges? Absolutely. <clears throat> one thing I'll just add before I come back to you on that one is this age that he, that the Buddha was around between 400 and 500 BC is called the Axial Age because it just seemed that at that time in various parts of the world there were some amazing insights gained and gleaned. So this is the age of ancient Greece, you know, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Euripides, you know, all these astonishing scientists and mathematicians and philosophers, and also further east in China, you've got the original people who became like the Taoists, um, a, new, a different philosophy that saw the world as constant change and you had to learn how to live with constant change, so related to, to what we're talking about. And also that's when Confucius was around and Confucius' analects are all about how do you create a harmonious society through rules and guidelines and, and clear understanding of what everybody's role is. So these were geniuses of their time and they did it through pure observation, you know, looking at the stars and working out, you know, sort of the seasons. And, I mean, in ancient Greece, they, they worked out that the earth was going around the sun and not the other way around. You know, it's just, you know, astonishing, without a telescope, without any real tools. So I just want to put that there, that because that's important. Mindfulness is about observation. It's about observing inwardly and externally. And then from that observation, being able to determine what the next best course of action is, rather than just being basically the, 
the victim of your own mind's reactions to things. So it's that's why there's a connection with the ancient, is it's about learning through insight. And the Buddha called it that. Um, the, the mindfulness practices that we do now, he called it vipassana. And vipassana meant insight meditation. You learn insights by doing these things. So it's not just breathing in, breathing out, oh, that feels nice, I'm calm. Right, okay, that's the job done. This is actually notice things that arise in your mind that are insightful when you clear the mind and when you calm it. Very similar to what Darwin and Einstein, they used to go for a walk to clear their mind because when they knew that when they cleared the mind, some ideas would pop up. So this is the process, if you like. Modern is the same as ancient. But when we come to the idea of in a family business of acceptance, it is hugely helpful because we then are all exploring issues from the same basis. And the basis is, look, we know these things will happen. We know that there will be difficulty. We know that if there are two or three siblings, the chances of them being all equally brilliant is like winning the lottery. The chances of them having different aptitudes and attitudes is highly likely. And therefore, when we come to decide which in the next generation is the right person for the leadership role, for example, then we know that that basis of uncomfortable exploration and decision-making is going to happen. And that therefore means that we're not jolted by the fact that these issues arise. We accept that they are inevitable, not the specifics, but the generality of it. It's inevitable that there are going to be issues, challenges. One of the next generation marry and the marriage doesn't work out. Well, that's pain and a problem for the individual, but it's also a problem for the business in terms of ownership, in terms of what do we do about shares, etc. So I think when we have, and by acceptance, I don't mean kind of a tick the box, okay, we're likely to have problems. Everybody got that? Yeah, okay. And then when you, when you have <laughs> a problem and, and you just clap. And it, yeah, it still comes as a huge surprise when something crops up. Absolutely. Yeah. And that is how we normally learn things. And this is the difference between intellectual learning and I would say mindful learning, which is about absorbing deeply these truths, absorbing deeply that you're in a family business context and now there will be issues. There will be challenges. Can we repeatedly absorb that fact so that when they come, we are really ready for it? We're not jolted out. So, oh, nobody told me this would happen. And mm -hmm. I think that's where good family business education and training comes into it and having really good family business advisors come into it to help people get to the position where they can manage inevitable issues um, at first hand. Mm. And those issues are painful. Those issues are difficult. And that's what two and a half thousand years ago the Buddha meant by suffering. He didn't mean you, mm. you, know, you broke your leg. 
he means you've got a family issue. Yeah, and I think one of the the really interesting things that you mentioned there around intellectual learning versus mindful learning is that there may be, and I'm I'm perhaps one of them, that that would think that mindfulness is about the practice of noticing the breath and your thoughts and that side of it, but the the is it a theory? I don't, I don't know the, but perhaps the right word to use, but the, the basis of utilizing the learnings from mindfulness in the way in which we educate ourselves and each other can have a profound effect within, uh, well, m- most contexts, but with, p- particularly given the theme of the, the show, the, the family business context, is it's not about saying, well, if you spend 20 minutes a day with a breathing exercise where you're being mindful, all of a sudden you will have better insights into this. It's about utilizing the, the teachings from it to um, apply that to how you learn and work with each other. And that can lead to um, far less painful outcomes than if that wasn't present. Yes. And to an extent, necessarily, that jumps us ahead several stages and several um, episodes because the Four Noble Truths, which I won't sort of spoil, do spoilers here, but so there's the first three Noble Truths are about certain things about life. The fourth Noble Truth is about what to do about all this problem. Um, Mm -hmm. And so the fourth Noble Truth then goes into something called the Eightfold Path. So there's an eight, eight aspects of how to live your life in order to manage this aspect that life is um, unsatisfactory in some way. The second last of them, so we're jumping a lot of steps ahead, is what's called right or effective mindfulness, skillful mindfulness. So coming back now, mindfulness is not what most people think it is. Most people think mindfulness is sitting down, looking like a sort of, ancient yogi in India and closing your eyes and noticing the breath. That's not mindfulness. That's training your mind in order to be mindful. It's like the difference between going to a football ground and seeing 22 players training. That's not football. That's football training. Go on a Saturday with 30,000 other people and see two teams playing against each other. That's football. So that's the difference. Mindfulness Training. The Buddha called it the setting up of mindfulness. So when we sit, we're trying to notice the breath. We're trying to, more importantly, notice when the mind wanders off it. Because that's distraction, and that's our ruminations, and that's our worries. And that's what happens to us several times every day, dozens of times every day. Mind just wandering off, boom, 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 boom. We're trying to be there, and the mind goes there. So mm-hmm. with mindfulness, we are, or the practice of mindfulness, we're trying to notice when that happens and bring the mind back to where we want it to be. Because that's the only way you can live an effective life. If you live mm-hmm. your life with your automatic mind, which we'll talk about in other many episodes, I'm sure, taking you all sorts of different places, you can't go on with what you actually want to do with your life. So this practice is about creating a mind that is trained to notice and if the mind is where it should be go for it and enjoy it and get the most out of it and if it wanders off notice that it's doing that and that can be 
annoyance, that can be irritation at someone, that can be impatience. It's not where you want your mind to be or notice it. And that's where the breath, breathe in, breathe back out. Okay, right, I'm calmer now, let that go, boom, back on to where we want to be. That's how we deal with suffering. And in a family business context, that can be everything from being annoyed at somebody coming in late without calling in and saying there's a problem to a logistics thing where, you know, a delivery doesn't happen to a big, big issue like dad or mum has promised that they're going to um, retire in the end of the year and it's now two years after the end of the year and they still haven't done it. (laughs) How do we deal with it? Well, you need to deal with it skillfully. You need to deal with anything in life skillfully, clearly, and as constructively as possible and as effectively as possible. And that's hard to do so when your mind is wandering all over the place. Yeah. That there was a, um, a, a point you made earlier that, that I'd like to sort of revisit and, and perhaps dig into a little bit. And I, I think it demonstrates the difference between one particular mindset and, say, a mindful mindset and it was that change is constant and everything around us changes all the time and actually I think it was a post that you shared on on um, LinkedIn that was somebody saying every day I wake up and I go for the same walk and every day it is different and that for me highlighted a mindset of if I thought and perhaps I, I will take this lesson on, but if I thought walking around the block near me, I, I'm near some fantastic fields and some, some beautiful countryside, and yet I can often think, well, I don't want to go on that walk because I did it two days ago or um, a day ago or three weeks ago even. And that mindset shift of even though it's the same walk, everything about it will be different, I thought was a really profound observation that, change is constant and because of that it's not something to be feared or to be um rejected and and pushed away because there there is an inevitability around it and i think part of the i guess my hope with what we're doing with this show is that it helps to facilitate some of that mindset shift away from people's feeling of inevitabilities Um, And I think when we talk about the inevitability of suffering, you could almost see as that, oh, great, that's that's something to look forward to then. But but because it is that, it's the same as the same walk happening and things changing every time. Um, It's just life and it's how we then adapt and and work to that, as we'll cover in in later shows as well, I'm sure. Um, I think it's a, a really fascinating element of, the impact that mindfulness and the, the teachings of it can have on people. What mindfulness teaches with practice, 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 I always say that, practice, 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 because the mind has a very strong tendency to dominate us. And therefore, if we want the clearer, calmer, wiser part of our mind or ourselves to be in control, we have to work at this a lot. Because we're swimming against a tide, if you like. The tide is going in the other direction. It's, it's, it's going against overreacting. It's going towards um, sort of getting annoyed at everything. So we need to work at this. But when we work at it, some lovely things happen in the mind. 
you start to notice an awful lot more, like the, you know, the example you gave. Um, it's not even just every day if you take the same walk every day. Um, you notice different things. If you take the same walk every hour, you notice different things, especially here in Scotland, as we've talked about, you know, because the weather keeps changing. <laughs> also, the, you know, Scotland is, is, I guess, famous for lots of things, but it's famous for that almost like um, water paint washed out sort of sky, very pastely, very sort of blurry almost. And, you know, you can, I mean, I'm, I'm looking out the window just now and it's, the sky is so different to what it was just half an hour ago. And so, and it's the same then, if it's been raining, then the leaves and the bark and the trees are different from when you walked an hour ago and it was dry. And you start to see all these changes and differences. Now, that might be, oh, nice, that's in a countryside thing. But this is the same in a family business context. If you practice, you start to have a clearer, but also a lighter mind. You know, it's it's less bogged down with um, routine. It's less bogged down with habitual ways of thinking. So you start to see different ideas for the business. You start to see that we don't need to keep doing it that way. And I wish I'd been more mindful in many regards with regard to the issues that we faced as siblings, because I think now I would handle them a lot more gently and a lot more constructively than what the default family business experts, so-called experts, were teaching at the time. You know, you need to professionalise, you need to do this, and therefore you come in with clunky changes into a system that is very fluid and emotional-based, which is a family. And if we can practice these things, we can learn to ride the changes, good and ill, so much more skillfully. And so much more enjoyably, I think that's that's something that is really understated and underestimated in family businesses and in life. You know, life is to be enjoyed. It's not just to be effective in. You, know, you can be effective and miserable. You know, mm. life, <laughs> life is to be enjoyed and families are there to be loved. And part of love should be fun and enjoyment. And mindfulness helps you yeah. see all that and do it, more importantly. Yeah, and I, I'm a very strong believer that life's not a rehearsal and that we, you know, we can't come back next time and go, I wish I'd done that. The only mm -hmm. opportunity we have, if, if there are things we wish, is, is to look, how can I do things um, differently going forward? Can um, I just come in there a wee second, Russ? I think that's such an important point and so pertinent to what mindfulness is all about. Mindfulness states common sense and science when it says the only time you're alive is the present moment right now this moment that moment i was talking about there has already gone later on is not yet here this moment what can you do in this moment and in this moment if you have a clear mind you have possibilities so if you're in the middle of an argument with your brother or your dad about something, your mum about something, and you notice that that's the case, in that particular moment, if you're aware of it, the mood, the feeling, and that that's not healthy, you have the possibility of making that better. 
if you don't notice that it's happening because you're too caught up in it, you just blurt it out and that causes problems. So with mindfulness, this idea that every moment is precious and every moment should be thought about and used properly. Now, of course, nobody can do that because a moment just lasts like that and there are thousands in a day. But the more, it's a percentages game, the more moments we are able to notice clearly and decide effectively and well and wisely and generously for others, then the better our days will be. And the better our days will be, the better our life will be. And the better our business will be as well. That, um, what you've just said there's brought a, um, a vision into my mind from a film um, which is not particularly highbrow, it's Finding Nemo. And it's when the fish are all trapped in the net and Nemo's trying to convince them all to swim downwards so that they don't get dragged out of the water to, to be landed and, and obviously um, served up for dinner somewhere a few days later. And if one of those fish tries to swim down and there's not, then... There's, it has no impact, but the more that start to turn and swim downwards, you get that momentum and you get the change in direction and that side. And I guess the, the reason that sprung to mind there is that just doing this once every now and then is not necessarily going to have a hugely positive impact, but the practicing element of it is a bit like turning each of those fish round to start swimming in the right direction. And at some point you will gain that momentum that you need, as well as having the positive experience of the practice in itself. There's kind of micro and macro gains in, in terms of the, the actual practices themselves. Is that a, a fair comparison? No, it really is a great analogy. And um, you should charge Nemo, uh, finding Nemo for, for using that. <laughs> But it's true because, obviously, in, in very simple terms again, and this is useful, um, I think, practically, all we are and all we have to respond to life with and all we've ever learned is a result of only two things, our genes and our life experiences. And I think of them as you've got a good bucket and a bad bucket so you've got genes that help you and genes that cause you problems. Um, and you've got life experiences that were bad and life experiences that were good. So a good bucket and a bad bucket. And that determines how you feel about life and that determines how you react to any particular situation. However, if you practice mindfulness diligently without being obsessive about it, then what's likely to happen is more of your moments are likely to be positive because you've been more thoughtful in those moments. And therefore, they start going in your good bucket and you're preventing stuff going in your bad bucket because you've noticed that you're about to shout out somebody because you're annoyed and you don't. So that experience doesn't go in the bad bucket, but instead you say, let's have a cup of tea. Let's not argue about it. And then it goes in the good bucket. Now, if you keep doing that, then it's a bit like just simple the analogy of scales, the weighting starts to go into the good side and less so in the bad side. And that then means that your view of life starts to become sunnier, more positive, purely by dint of you having more constructive experiences and less 
harmful or destructive ones. And it really is that simple. That is modern-day neuroscience. That is what, what positive psychology is, is really teaching us all about just now. And it's, it's simple, but it's hard work. Mm-hmm. And we've mentioned in the introductory show and in this one about mindfulness practices. And obviously that is part of what you do in, in terms of the teaching. And I know you, you host um, various different um, practices where, where people can join you in, in those. C- could you give us a, a bit of a feel for the kind of the, the purpose and perhaps how to go through a, a mindfulness practice for, for people who are perhaps listening and thinking, well, it's just about sitting down for 10 minutes and, and breathing in and breathing out. There's that element to it, but but can you kind of fill in the gaps for people in in terms of the an actual kind of practice, if you like? Yeah. So the ultimate aim, which nobody gets to, is that you practice it in every moment. Now, accepting that you can't do that, then you can still think of your day as a series of opportunities to practice being mindful that is not to do with your relationships with anybody else. It's not to do with family business. It's just about trying to get the most out of a moment. So when I wake up, there's a little mental process goes on off in my head. I wake up, then I realise I'm awake. And then after I realise I'm awake, my mind starts flooding with what's got to be done, this needs to be done, and I then become mindful and I think, no, that's not for now, that's for a few minutes' time. For now, I am going to notice that I'm where I am in the present moment. And where I am in the present moment is in my bedroom, on a mattress, duvet cover over me, and my head's in a pillow. Just notice that, Martin. And when I notice it, it's absolutely beautiful. You know, your head in a pillow is one of the great experiences in life. Now, that may sound ridiculously hyperbolic, but it's not. You wake up and you notice your head in the pillow, and it's a lovely feeling. You are in comfort. Your body in the mattress is soft and it's comfortable, and the duvet cover you is wrapping around you, and it's a, it's a lovely place to be. Now, I do that every morning, and it changes my mindset immediately. So any grumpiness that I wake up with is dissipated. I then start to think about, this is all within the space of 60 seconds, 90 seconds. I then start to think about how lucky I am to have a roof over my head, to have a bed, to have a pillow. And my dad was sent to a labour camp when he was a teenager and during the Second World War and went three years without ever seeing a pillow. And I can bring that to bear. And because I lost him about 10 years ago, I bring compassion and love to bear. And I think of all the people who don't have beds and don't have pillows deliberately because love and compassion are positive experiences. So they then are in my head as well as enjoyment of the moment being in bed. And all of a sudden, I'm a different person getting out of bed. Now, you do that with going in for your shower. You do that with the softness of the clothes when you you dress. You do that with 
the cup of tea or cup of coffee, you do that. You do that with seeing your pets and patting them first time in the morning. And you can have a dozen really nurturing experiences before you even go out the house, before eight o'clock in the morning. And if you can just find that every person's life is slightly different. So if you can find your own normal everyday routines and start to see what you can make of them mentally, then that's you really being mindful. That's true mindfulness. The sitting down, which I do do, and notice the breath, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, doesn't matter if it's 20 seconds, is training the mind to be able to do those other things better. Mm. Fantastic. And for me, that seems a, a really uh, uplifting and positive note to bring today's show to um, a conclusion. Um, I think in, in terms of the sort of understanding that that there will be suffering and an awareness of that in, in our lives and in the family business environment, how we can help to understand and be aware and, and process that. And then the practice that you've just shared there as a, a starting point for even just for starting every day. I mean, it, it, it sounded wonderful the way you described it. And I think I'm, I'm looking forward to, to putting that into practice myself. Um, so, so thank you for, for sharing what you've shared today in terms of the, the first of the noble truths. And I am very excited to, to learn more about the, the next three and then obviously the eightfold path that you mentioned um, as well as we pr proceed through this um, series. But um, thank you for that, Martin, and uh, look forward to speaking to you again on the next show. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks, Russ. It is our firm belief that it is healthy for your business, your family as a whole, and each individual involved to learn how to develop a fresh, more objective perspective of the situation each of you is in, so that clearer aims, hopes and visions can be explored together in a positive, respectful and constructive manner. Martin and I have created the Mindful Family Business Program to help you with this. If you'd like to find out more about this, please head to familybusinesspartnership.com forward slash mindful for more information. Or you can email me, russ at familybusinesspartnership.com. Com. We really hope you've enjoyed the show and if you have, please feel free to share it with your family and you can even leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, take care.